attention. We don't need to hurt ourselves or make some weird sacrifices. You just love us. God, tonight, would you, would you pour love into our hearts? Father, tonight, would you reassure us Different situations that you remember the best. 
but they all have to do with the same beautiful message of Jesus Christ coming to earth and changing things forever. It even comes down to how we live our lives out. So if you're a doctor or a barista or a construction worker or a scientist or something like that, we're all living out our lives from our convictions. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're living out your life trying to figure out how do I do the best at bringing the kingdom of God to earth now. And it doesn't matter what walk of life you're in. It just matters how you walk that out. We all have the life-changing message inside of us of Jesus Christ. We're all carrying His presence. It's what we do with that that matters and how we handle that. And so John is has this piece of, of scripture, and I don't know if you remember when you accepted Jesus, but most churches have a bit of a ritual. So you accept Jesus, you start your journey, or however you want to phrase it. And generally speaking, we give you the Gospel of John to start with. We're like, okay, here's a little Gospel of John, it's got a a little book, it's got some clever artwork on it, depending on the current trends of the time. It was in the 90s, it probably said radical, it had some neon, a skateboard. It's true, I, I had one. So we give you this, this little John gospel, and when you're ready, when you can handle it, we're going to upgrade you to a New Testament. When you've really figured out the New Testament, we'll give you a full Bible. Unless you're like most people and you already went to parables and bought yourself a Bible and are progressing on your own. But So you have the scriptures and, you, and you're looking through this as, as a new believer. And you're reading these stories about Jesus. You're reading these stories from Genesis to Maps about people who followed God and did these ridiculous, crazy things like parting Red Seas and, and raising people from the dead and healing the sick. And you're like, wow, this is this what a disciple of Jesus looks like? And then and you, come to, you come to the pastors and we're like, well, kind of. I mean, um, yes, I mean, yes. Yes, it is. That, is. that is what a disciple of Jesus looks like. You're like, okay, great. When was the last time you raised someone from the dead, and can I come to the next one? Well, it's more of a do what we say, not what we do kind of a thing. Um, we hope that stuff happens, but... Next call, next question, next topic. Let's move on from there. And so there's these, these tensions that start coming up. And I remember being in this place as a kid who grew up in the church, had experiences with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues at an early age. I got to the point where I was in high school, and I asked the question, is, is this it? Because I'm reading this stuff, but I'm watching you guys behave like everyone else in the entire world. Is this it? Is this what I signed up for? Yeah, all I saw as a teenager was people striving and striving and striving to somehow impress God enough that we're holy enough for Him to accept us the way we are. It's like, that doesn't make sense. 
And I remember it was the mid-90s, I started, I started, I don't know, my parents would call it backsliding, but I started looking for communities that would accept me for who I am, not tell me to change a billion ways and become like this. So um, when I was, when I was um, in high school and then early in college, I toured as a, as a punk drummer. Because I found that in the punk scene, um, I could play as loud and fast as I wanted, and nobody at church would get mad at me because I wasn't at church. And I could dress how I wanted, and no one was going to tell me that that wasn't good enough to show up at church like, in order to be accepted. And so I had this whole, this whole confusion thing going on where I was like, but isn't this what the church is supposed to be like, where I can be me with Jesus? But where I grew up, it wasn't quite that way. And so society itself starts to build this, this, this whole spectrum that we built ourselves. We, we have theologies around escapism, where it's like, you know what, it's just so bad here, and we're just, we're holding on until we can get to heaven. And then, boy, howdy, all those pesky sinners down there, good thing we don't have to hang out with them. So we have these escapism things, and, and it comes up in society over and over again. I, I think Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, all he wanted was a better life. He wanted to escape and live in a chocolate factory, which sounds like the world's worst thing to me. I don't like chocolate. It's true. I, I just don't. Yeah. Or, the, or the glory of Harry Potter, like the, this whole spectrum of, of just escape. My life will be better somewhere else. All through Greek mythology, there's, there's the, the promise of a utopia. Of where everything comes together and everything makes sense and everyone's accepted for who they are. And we start, we start getting these things in our brains and it's like, well, isn't that what being in the family is supposed to be, if we're supposed to be the body of Christ, we're supposed to be our Christian family, isn't, isn't it more like that? And it's a, a lot of times for me, it's like we're trying to recreate the book of Acts, but we're going about it the wrong way. We look at, we look at the Acts 2 church, when the church was born. The church was born in its, its beauty and its perfection of what things were supposed to look like. But we've drifted from there and we try so hard to be Christian. And I don't want to look back on my life and see Michael trying. I want to look back on my life at an old age and see Michael being. Just being with Jesus. So there's a secret in Scripture that the apostles figured out. There's a secret in Scripture that they, they knew how to be content. They knew how to stop striving. They knew how to be with Jesus. 
They made it look so easy in scripture. They made it look so easy. Well, you just walk along and people want to get saved and then you walk along the next day and someone gets healed automatically and then you're going to cast out seven demons before supper. They made it look so easy in scripture. It's like they're, they're constantly, like when, I, when I envision scripture happening, it's these, these guys who are constantly glowing and like floating somehow on, on midair on their way to heal another person. It's like, well, what am I doing wrong, Lord? What am I doing wrong that I, I keep striving, I keep trying to get more holy, I follow more rules, I, I, I read all of Maxwell's books on, on how to be the best leader in the world, and then I, I go and I beat myself up over discipleship and disciplines, and, I, and I, everything looks good on paper, but why on the inside do I feel like a failure? And there's this secret in the book of Acts, on the day the church was born. And I want to share, and we'll start putting this together in a second here. There we go. These, so, the day the church is born, right? So, Peter, this is after Pentecost, just happened, the Holy Spirit fell. Um, everyone thinks that the, uh, the apostles and the other people in the room with them, they think they're drunk from what's happening, okay? So you have a room of visibly drunk people that is spilling out into the street, and um, you've got uh, several thousand people hanging out in the street being like, why are you guys drunk? It's nine in the morning. What is your problem? And so Peter takes it upon himself to explain a lot. And he says this, these people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. Pour out my spirit. Even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn to blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I will pour out my spirit. Peter's hiding this, this nugget of amazing stuff in there. Peter, the, the audible processor of the disciples, who randomly just says stuff finally comes up with some word math that makes sense. And so you've got a, a room full of people who have been along on the journey with him, as well as at least 3,000 other people watching while he's just talking. But he comes across this poured out, spirit poured out. Spirit poured out. Back in Matthew 13, Disciples were progressively starting to understand the kingdom of God. 
They were starting to understand the, the mysteries that God spoke of. And inside of these mysteries, Jesus all of a sudden says this. It has been given to them to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. Not everyone was getting it. I don't know for you, but for me, sometimes still, if I didn't have the, the commentaries attached to the Bible and every sermon I've heard for the last 40 years, yes, almost 40 years, if I didn't have all that, I wouldn't have a clue about half of what Jesus was talking about. Sometimes to me, he sounds more like the Riddler than he does a deity. And so, and so Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God throughout the scriptures, and he's sharing all of these subtle nuances, and he's telling us all of these secrets and mysteries through the parables. And, and he says, well, some people are going to understand it, and some people aren't going to get these mysteries. And for me, I just want Jesus to explain in clear English for 2,000 years later what he was talking about, because that would make way more sense to me. But that wouldn't make any sense for the other 2,000 years worth of people. And we're almost to the, the piece of scripture I, I want to talk about. Have any of you guys in the room tonight, have any of you taken the Enneagram test? Put your hand up if you've done this. I love personality tests. I absolutely love them. Um, I, I find the Enneagram test to be um, amazing because it gives you more of the social components and uh, spiritual components than uh, any of the others have. And so I, I like to look through and be like, okay, so I'm a seven and a three, and so I behave like this in a social setting. Yeah, that's true. And, and this is how I interact with God. Yeah, that's true. And um, one of the emails I, I got from signing up for way too many email lists about the Enneagram test um, said, uh, here's some scriptures you might like. And one of the scriptures that popped up about uh, two weeks ago was my life verse. And it was like, personality tests do work. Here's proof. John 4.14, but I want to read it in context. So, Jesus at the well. This woman is surprised. For Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, as well as very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give 
will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. That verse speaks to my heart because it's how it's how I understand my relationship with God. It's how I understand my my connectivity with my Savior. That in that connection, that in that place where Jesus and I, where we call that us, I know that I never have to. I don't have to strive. I don't have to try to be something I'm not. I don't have to push. Because in Christ, I can relax. I can take a drink of water and calm down and know that he's got everything under control. To me, this is the, the breath of fresh air of the gospel. Remember... Years and years ago on a missions trip, we're in the Dominican, and we had about 200 students with us. And we were supposed to be doing all these housing projects, like building houses, ripping old ones down. But I mean, good Lord, what do I know about construction? So I took it upon myself to uh, delegate everything and um, be in charge of making sure everyone had water. Because, I mean, what does a leader do to make sure everyone has water? Because um, I learned from our one of our tour guides that the minute in that hot sun you realize you're thirsty, it's too late. You're already well on your way to dehydration. I don't want to live a Christianity. I don't want to live a relationship with where I ever get to the point where I realize I'm thirsty. I want to keep drinking. I want to be saturated in the presence of God to the point where I never have to worry about that. Further down in scripture, John 7.38 says this. Nope. Yep. On the last day of the festival, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds. He is shouting at people. He is standing probably on a rock or something or a building and he's shouting at them. Anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Maybe, just maybe, when we feel stressed, when we strive, when we strategize, when we try to do all of these things, and we can't figure out where the presence of God went, we can't figure out why don't I feel close to God anymore, maybe it's because we stopped drinking from the right water source. Just maybe. I want to look back on my life and know that I drank from the right water. 
Jesus also said, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. He said, yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then finally, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary, carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Music people, you guys can come. I'm not saying that the Christian life is always going to be easy. Only a lunatic would say that. And I'm not quite a lunatic. Think about Peter. Think about Peter. The guy who gave, got up and gave the great speech and quoted the prophet Joel and, and led 3,000 people to Jesus in one foul swoop. That's Billy Graham numbers. Peter's caught in a storm with Jesus. Jesus is walking on the water. That's normal. And Peter's like, wow. She's like, well, Kent, come on out here. Let's, let's do this. He's like, really? So Peter gets out there. He's trudging a little bit. Takes his eyes off Jesus, takes the focus off where he needs to be, starts worrying about his own feet, starts drowning. Reconnects his gaze and back up. You're going to fall. You're going to get thirsty. The trick is, start drinking again. Even think the, the disciples. So they're out on their, their big ministry trip. They're, they're going through the community. They're healing people. And they come across this one guy and they cannot cast the demon out of him. And they're like, man, this is tough. Why would it come out, Jesus? And he's like, well, these ones only come out through prayer and fasting. Which, by the way, is an amazing symbol of us putting our trust in God and taking eyes off our own shoes. We need to be drinking from the right sources. And the only source to drink from is Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you four quick things. Four quick things. How to readjust to know you're drinking from the right water. Number one. You have a prayer life, not a prayer time. When I stopped scheduling and sticking to my schedule of prayer and made prayer my life, my relationship with God went so much deeper. I didn't keep him in a box and told him, this is when you can come out. This is when I'll meet you here. At 7 o'clock, we'll talk then. 
but instead my life became that I, I would rather just talk about this as we go through life. We'll, we'll just walk step and step and, and move ahead and know that we can handle this together. Number two, when you act on mission, not obligation. When you do things because you know that it's going to make a difference. Not because you're doing it, because you're told. Peter comes every week and sets out a table and water. Because he knows it's part of the bigger mission. He knows that that's his part to play. Pastor Joel comes and he leads songs every weekend at the various venues. And he, he spends time in his office. I, I've seen him. He actually like practices and prays and meditates on this stuff. He's a gem. He doesn't get up here to lead songs. He gets up here to lead worship. Because he's doing it on mission not doing it because it's his obligation that if there's no songs, well, everything will fall apart. Heaven forbid you didn't have songs for a week. Number three. Say no more than you say yes. Life is going to throw so many things at you. So many things that will get you distracted will pull you from your relationship with God. They're going to pull you away from the time you need to spend with God. And some of them might look good. Some of them might look like ministry. Some of them might look like something holy. But no matter what you do, don't sacrifice your time with your Savior. If you're thinking you have to, well, I, I don't have time to, to spend time with God right now because I got to get to another meeting. Just take a breath. Your connectivity to the presence of God is more valuable than anything else. And number four, build for those to come.
we aren't drinking the right water. That sometimes moments like tonight where we're in an atmosphere of worship and we're in a good place, it's a good time to recorrect. It's a good time to refocus. It's a good time to come back to a place where like, okay, I'm spiritually thirsty and that's not all right. Holy Spirit, would you fill me up? Thank you.